All right. Brother DeGarmo is now deployed. He'll be gone for six months if you'll pray for him. And unless someone else desires to teach in his absence, this is what you get. Amen. And um, until he returns. Now, I assume he's going to want to continue teaching when he gets back. But I have learned. (laughs) You never know what the Lord's going to do. And so we'll just see how that plays out. But he sure does a great job, doesn't he? Teaching in class. We're very blessed that he's here. And uh, I'm very grateful for his help. And just pray for them as he continues to consider a possible retirement from active service. And that's a, that's a difficult decision. That decision was made for me, and so that made it a lot easier in my case. But it's a difficult thing if you would pray for them. It's my hope that God would allow him to stay here and that we would labor together till old age takes its toll or the Lord causes home. But you never know. He's very gifted. He could be a pastor somewhere if he chose I'd be happy if he's my pastor. And um, so we'll just see what the Lord has in store. I don't know that he has a desire to pastor. If he's smart, he doesn't. <laughs> I'm just simply saying the Lord's gifted him. So be, be in prayer that God will make things clear for them. I just want God's will in the situation. Um, you know my heart. I'd love to have him on staff. But God knows best. And his, God's timing is always best. All right. All right, back to our Sunday school class here. I was pleased to see how God led him through Psalm 119, that it just happened to end on the very week that he was deploying. You can't plan those things out. And so we just thank God that the Holy Spirit's leading here, and uh, you're in the right place is what I'm saying. So this is now the second time that I've filled in for Brother DeGarmo during one of his deployments. During his last deployment, we were going through the book of Micah. Shortly before I became pastor, I took over the Sunday school class. Actually, I think it might have been the last week of December 2015 and got voted in 2016. I was already teaching the Sunday school class, and I had decided, I had this brilliant idea that we could just go through the minor prophets, as they call them. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but that is a chore to go verse by verse through those last 12 books of your Old Testament. And we started that process. We went through Hosea already. Uh, We went through Joel. But um, we got to Micah, and we only got about halfway through because COVID-19 hit. While we were blessed to keep our doors open, we did shut down Sunday school because our classrooms downstairs are broom closets that we've converted into, into Sunday school space. And so we only got halfway through By the time we returned, Justin was back from his deployment. And so I'm saying all that to say, go to the book of Micah this morning. And uh, these last 12 books are commonly called the minor prophets, but there's nothing minor about them. It's kind of silly to call them minor prophets. They do so only for the length. But then you think about some of the books that are not called minor prophets that are actually shorter than some of the minor prophets. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I can tell you that the minor prophets are major because they contain God's message. Amen. It doesn't matter the size of the book. If it's God's word, it's major. And so as we go through these, it's not that this is less important, but um, anyway. I hate when things are left undone. I'm not one of these guys that would start a project and get about 85% through and just 
be like, okay, I'm going to move on. I, I can't do that. It's just my OCD, whatever it is. I, I like things to, in fact, I've got such a problem that I don't like starting another project until one is completely done. And that's just the way I operate. And so I hate that we left Micah undone. And so I'm looking forward to maybe tying a ribbon over this, depending on how much longer it takes to get through it. But after a 15-month break, I don't expect you to remember anything that was talked about before, and that's okay. I'm going to give you a mega condensed recap, and we're going to pick up where we left off. <laughs> Amen. This is so goofy to me. All right. Oh, by the way, if you want to, if you want to be really informed, you can go back to our podcast, and you can listen to every, every message on Micah. You'll have to start back in December of... 2019, and then listen to March the 22nd, 2020, a day that will live in infamy in my world. Micah and Isaiah were contemporary to each other. Micah has even been called a condensed version of the book of Isaiah, as the two books actually share some of the same verses, nearly word for word. He was sent by God to go from his home in the country to go and speak before the urban areas of the capital cities of both houses of Israel, Jerusalem and Samaria. And so this country boy shows up and he goes to the city and he preaches God's word to them. And God sent him to Jerusalem and Samaria because not only were they the capital cities, they were the place where the kings lived. They were the place where the laws would be drafted and they would be sent out and put into place. And so Micah shows up on the scene and he's declaring God's judgment to come. He's letting them know that God is about to God is about to reach the end of his fuse. God is long suffering, amen. God is merciful, but there comes a point where God has to take action. And so he shows up because what they were doing was they were forfeiting their right to be in the land that God had given them by allowing the corrupt leadership to rule. And I love how something so old is so applicable to today. Listen to what I said again. They were forfeiting their right to be in the land by allowing corrupt leadership to be in place. Boy, does that sound like anything familiar to you? So Micah here, he, he's letting them know that God had an issue with the princes, that's the rulers. He had an issue with the prophets, and he had an issue with the priests. And so Micah, he lays out God's charge against them. And God said in, in this book, He was going to reward them evil for evil. He was going to give them what they had sown. They were going to reap it. And the judgment will be so severe that it's called a lamentation of lamentations. It's so lamentable that it ranks at the top. God had been trying to get them to turn back to Him but they did not want to hear from God's man. They would say to the true prophets of God, prophecy ye not. We don't want to hear it. Prophesy ye not. And they would take to them false prophets who would then tell them what they wanted to hear. Again, something we're all too familiar with in our day. And they would get these false prophets to come in and say, everything's going to be just fine. Just keep living as you're living. You're living in sin, but don't worry. God's on your side. You see, there was a breakdown in judgment by the princes. 
they didn't issue right judgments. There was a breakdown in guidance by the false prophets in that they were leading the people astray. And there was a breakdown in instruction by the priest. All three groups had become corrupted by money. That's what Micah tells us. In Micah 3, it says, The heads, speaking of the princes, the heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. So that was the false, false prophets. And the, and the state of leadership in the land was all corrupt. It was all corrupt for money. And because of all this covetousness and corruption in Israel and in Judah, the next verse there, which is the last verse of chapter 3, it says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. So destruction's on the way is what Micah's saying. It, it's, it's coming. Captivity would come to pass in both houses of Israel. The house of Israel would be led cap, into captivity by the Assyrians, and they would come to the doorstep of Judah. And then God would, would have them restrained. But about 100, 125 years later, give or take, the Babylonians would show up and they would lead the house of Judah captive into Babylon. And all of this just sounds familiar to our situation in America. We have been given a land of promise. We have. If you look at our founding fathers' words, uh, we have been blessed by God to have this land. But we are forfeiting our right. Listen, there may always be a country with the name America, but it won't, it's not the same America because we've allowed corruption to run rampant throughout the land. And we are saying to God, we don't want your blessings. God's people have been declaring that judgment is on the way. I love listening to preaching, and, and I was listening to some older uh, preachers this week in, in the last century there. So 50s, 60s, I was listening to this guy preach, and he was blasting these things then. God's people have been saying judgment's coming. It is, unless we turn back to God. So only time will tell if we'll ever heed the message or not. Well, we left off in Micah chapter 4, so if you turn there, please. Because it's been quite a while. Let's just read this whole chapter. Micah chapter 4, the Bible says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountains of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, into the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all the people will walk, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. 
In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast afar off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And thou, O tower of the flocks, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt, there shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now that you would open our understanding that we might understand the Scriptures. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. So 15 months ago, I covered verses 1 through 4. And remember how I mentioned that Isaiah and Micah share some of the same language. Well, Micah 4, 1 through 3 is nearly identical to Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. God is so merciful in that He keeps sending people to warn them to turn. He not only sent Isaiah, he sent Micah, he sent some contemporaries there as well. Um, I, I just lost who they were. I had two others in mind that were contemporary with these two prophets. And God kept getting them uh, to hear this message, and they're getting the exact same message. That's how God is, amen? And this is why people get frustrated. Well, uh, you're just like that other church. They said the same thing. <gasps> amen. Well, maybe you had to get your heart right in this. Anyway, and so God gives the same message, but they still refused God and they still refused His warnings, even after repetition. We saw that while judgment was on the way, this chapter opens with the message. They're, they're turning from destruction to restoration. That's what we see here in this chapter. He has said up to this point, destruction's on the way. But then we see here in chapter 4 that... There's going to be restoration. There was coming a time of peace and safety. And that's what we have pictured for us there in verses 1 through 4. And the timing of that last lesson, for those who remember, it was perfect. That God had us land on verses 1 through 4 on the exact same weekend that COVID insanity hit our area. And it's a comfort to know that even though this world has gone crazy, there is coming a day of peace and safety. Whoop. There's coming a day. Christ is going to rule and reign upon this earth for 1,000 years before the glories of eternity. He'll rule with a rod of iron. And I thank God for that. And that's how I, I applied that lesson um, last time. Some say these verses are speaking spiritually of the church age. And I can certainly understand how application is made in that direction. But there's something about verse 3, I don't know about you, verse 3 and 4, that really seem to indicate that at least a portion of this is off in the future. Because look at what it says there. It says that 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, that's not now. I don't know that that's ever been a time in history. Isn't that right? We are constantly engaged somewhere in this world. I, I first joined the service in 95, and I remember we had just come out of the Gulf War, and it's been nonstop deployments ever since. There's not been a time where there's been a time of peace and safety. And so I, I have to look at verses 3 and 4, and, and I have to say to myself, this has to be sometime in the future. And I believe, I'm left to conclude, that it's the time that we call the millennial reign. Now, there was a lot to that lesson that I gave, and you'd have to go back to listen to it to get it all. It was a mouthful. But the middle of verse 4 says that this will be a time when none shall be made afraid. And I just want to remind us again, we have so much to look forward to in Christ. Amen? A time when we don't have to be afraid. Well, that was my short reintroduction and recap of where we are at in the book of Micah. I've taken verses 1 through 4 before, taught the fulfillment in the millennial reign of Christ, primarily for the reasons I said. I don't see how those verses 3 and 4 can apply to any other age. But I can also see how portions of this prophecy do apply to the gospel age. If you've ever studied your Bible at length, then you know some things are difficult to understand. And if you say it's not, then you've not studied your Bible at length. <laughs> Amen. Some things are difficult. There are times when portions of a prophecy, they'll have a near fulfillment, and they'll also have a looking way off into the future fulfillment. There appears to be several ways to interpret some of this prophecy here in verses 1 through 7. I guess what I'm trying to say is, try to say is I don't have peace fully about what all, um, what all directions to take this and what's being taught here. There appears that some language is meant for Judah's return from Babylonian captivity. There is some which appears to mean the times of the gospel, and as I've already said, there are some that seem to clearly indicate times of the millennial reign of Christ. For example, verse 1 speaks of the last days. We know that Hebrews 1-2, it says, it gives us a time frame of when the last days began. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. And so with that in mind, I can see how there is not a literal fulfillment, but that there is also, or not only a literal fulfillment, but that there is also a spiritual fulfillment of this prophecy. There are often double meanings when you study prophecies in your Old Testament. And the end of chapter 3, here in Micah, we are told Zion would be plowed as a field. Jerusalem would, be, would become heaps. Now, this happened when the Babylonians came in and took over. It was a terrible scene. Relamentations. It was terrible what was taking place there. And, and they came in and destroyed everything just as God had foretold. And now chapter 4 begins by letting us know that Zion would be fruitful once again, though it had been destroyed. After the Babylonian captivity, God was going to restore and to build Jerusalem, which is what God told uh, Daniel through Gabriel. 
that He was going to restore and rebuild. And we see that He would gather those that halted. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means those who are maimed. And Jacob wrestled with the Lord. And that night as he wrestled with God and God touched him on the thigh. Remember that? The next morning he got up and as he started to head out, the Bible says he halted upon his thigh. You familiar with that? And he carried a limp with him for the rest of his life. And so God says here, I'm going to take those who are halted. When when the Babylonians came in, they severely injured Judah. I mean, it was terrible. But God was going to take a remnant and assemble them together from among this halted group. Verse 6 speaks of those who had been driven out and afflicted. God was going to bring out of captivity, bring them out of captivity and restore Zion. I'm glad God's not done with us all the time. Amen. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other thought. But Zephaniah, listen to this, Zephaniah 3, 19 and 20. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. And I will get them praise and fame in every land where they had been put to shame. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you. For I will make you a name and, and a praise among all people of the earth. When I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. So I think we can, we can see that there is a portion of this which clearly would fit Judah coming out of Babylonian captivity. But I believe there's also a gospel fulfillment in this prophecy. We see in verse 1 that Zion would be established, that it would be exalted, and that people would flow unto it. Verse 2, many nations will be reached, and the law would go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah 59.20 says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion... And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And Paul cites that over in Romans eleven twenty six, And this is why it's important to try to get the proper timing of verse 1 when it says, in the last days. Because that really fits the frame for a lot of what's being told here. In that day, verse 6 says, which must apply back to verse 1, which says, in the last days. Everybody following me with that? Look, I know Justin's a lot better teacher, but that's okay, amen? Uh, and so... Don't worry, I'll try, to, I'll try to get better as we go. But this is Sunday school. Right? Verse 2, many nations. We're talking Gentiles here. That's what that means. In the last days, we know that it, begin, it began with Christ, according to Hebrews 1-2. And we're in the last days. Amen. Some would say we're in the last of the last of the last days. I don't know. The last generation got it wrong. We'll probably get it wrong too. Amen. Um, you say, what are you talking about? All them preachers that never got ready for the future because God was coming back. Amen. Well, anyway, I'm getting off track and every time I do that, it gets bad. So the last days we know we're in. We know when they started. Genesis 49.1, if we, if we look at this as a fulfillment, some of this, as a fulfillment in the times of the gospel in the church. Listen to what Genesis 49.1 says. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last 
days. All the way back there in Genesis, Jacob gathers his 12 children and he begins to prophesy to them of what's going to take place in the last days. And this is what he says about Judah in Genesis 49.10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That means the Messiah. Until Shiloh come. Listen to this now. And unto him, unto Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. Isn't that what this is telling us here? Many nations would flow unto Zion. That word for nation is Gentiles. And we know that under the gospel, the Gentiles have flowed in droves to the Lord. That's, what, that's why we're here. Some of you may be, may be Jewish, but that's why we're here. Most of us are Gentiles. Revelation tells us there are those who will be redeemed out of every nation, kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah 49.22 says, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring their, thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. God said, I'm going to gather me a remnant, and the Gentiles are going to be carrying you in. Because the Gentiles will hear the message of the Lord. Isaiah 60 and verse 3, it says, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Isaiah 60 and verse 5, Then shalt thou see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. Isaiah 60 and verse uh, 11, Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought. Jeremiah 16, 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. God, through the Apostle Paul, tells us over in Romans, and it may be in my notes later on, that God was going to use the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. That the Gentiles would flow unto the Lord. I would say that there is a very definite fulfillment here in Micah of the church age. It's the mystery that Paul spoke about. What was that? It was that God would take these two bodies and make them one. That there would no longer be Jew nor Greek. Amen. But that He would break down the middle wall of partition and we would all be made one in Christ. Out of all peoples. And so when we read verse 6 and it says, In that day, as of now, meaning I'm free to change my mind in the future, I personally believe there is a fulfillment to be found in our present time. Because God is currently gathering out of every nation. And we, we are brought into God's kingdom where Christ rules over us from Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to it an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, 
and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So, I just want to clear this up because you may have, you may have heard something there that I didn't say. But does this period include the gathering of Israel? Well, Paul answers that question in Romans 11. Listen to what Romans 11, 1 through 5 says. I say then, have God cast away His people? Speaking of Israel. He says, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people, which He foreknew. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. See, the gospel was to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to preach first in Jerusalem, then I want you to go into Judea and then Samaria and then the uttermost part. And so there was an epicenter where all this was going to begin, and that's in Jerusalem, which we see played out in the book of Acts for us. God never put the Jews on hold. That's that's a very popular teaching today. Thousands were reached in the first century. They're still being reached today if they will turn to the Lord just like you and I. But they have to receive the crucified Messiah. Somebody say amen right there. The crucified Messiah. God, God didn't set the Jews aside. Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So when God was rejected by the leadership in Israel, He then turns to the Gentiles. And what, is, what does the Bible tell us there in Romans 11? He grafted us in. So there was a vine there. There was a, a root there, which is Christ. And what God did is, is you read that out. He cut off the natural branches because of unbelief, those who rejected. But those of us who believe, even though we were wild by nature, we've been grafted into that very same thing. There's not two different plants is what I'm trying to say. But that's often how it's kind of portrayed, and I, I just don't doesn't sit right with me. The ingathering of the nations foretold by Micah during our time of the gospel, it's for all people. All people. Any who believe can go up to the mountain of the Lord and unto the house of the God of Jacob. So I hope you can see how this, this prophecy here, it, it seems to have fulfillment in different periods. And, and I don't think it changes anything as far as the veracity of God's Word. I think we could very easily say verses 1 and 2 are dealing with uh, church age. Verses 3 and 4 just take us right into the millennium. And so just something to think about there. I throw that out there for you to chew on. And uh, I'm not God's gift to anything. And so however the Lord deals with you. Now, I saved verse 5 to close on because all that was boring stuff. Amen? Verse 5 says, For all people will walk everyone in the name of his God, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I want to try to leave you with a challenge here and an application. The problem still today is those who are without Christ continue to walk in the name of their God. Isn't that what that says? People are going to walk in the name of their God. We have people out there walking in the God of self. Amen. 
And listen, the kingdom of God is only for those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And so we've got people walking in all kinds of, of their own gods. We've got people who are walking in the God of government. Amen. Listen, there are, there are churches out there that are trying to say, we, the government this and the government that. and the gov-. Listen, we are not, our outcome as a church is not controlled by the government. Don't believe me, come back on Sunday nights as we're going through the book of Acts. Look at what they were able to do under an oppressive government. It had nothing to do with the government. And yet there's people out there who have this God of the government. I'm all about getting the White House in order. Amen. But we better get the church house in order. And so uh, we got people who are, they have their God of the environment. I, you know, I had always heard, and, and I'm not knocking, listen, last time I said something about the state of Washington, somebody left the church. I'm not making that up. I love the state of Washington. It's the, one of the most beautiful states I've ever seen. But I can tell you, I didn't understand just how deep worship of creation goes until I got on the West Coast. I had never seen anything like it. People have environment as their God. Listen, we got, we got this nonsense about climate change now. What are we doing? What are we doing? Listen, I was a meteorologist for 21 years. I'll have that conversation with anybody. There is no climate change. All right, let's get, let's get focused here. You know, it used to be called global warming. Oops. I guess because the earth didn't warm, we have to call it something else. All right, see, now I'm getting fired up. And this is what happens when you don't give me something to eat in the morning. Amen. Well. <laughs> What's up, girl? We've got people that are worshiping the God of so-called social justice. Isn't that right? Good night. The answers are all in Christ. I've never met a true Christian that loves the Lord that's a racist. There's all kind of gods out there. And people are putting their trust and their confidence in, in things that will never make a lasting impact upon the heart. Let me just clarify something. I'm not against being a good steward of the environment. I'm not against trying to better the social climate of our day. I'm not against those things. But listen, none of those things are making the change in the heart. And that's where the problem is. So here's these group of people. They've been taken captive by Babylon. Now, put yourself in that position. They've been taken captive. Let's just for grins. Let's just say we were taken captive by Iran. Taken captive by Iran. All right. We are now living, we are now in captivity in a Muslim country where however many times a day they blast that stuff over the speakers, everybody kneels and prays. And what are we going to do? You see, there's a remnant here that is stuck in Babylon, and, and a lot of them have been scattered all over. They've been sold into slavery. They've been taken down to Egypt. They sold them out. And, and here's this remnant. Do they still walk with God? So here's this remnant. Everybody around them is walking in the name of their God. Whatever they trusted in in Babylon. But here's this remnant, and they're walking in the name of the Lord, their God. We can relate to this. I believe we can. Because, listen, we are citizens of a heavenly country. That's where 
we're from now. We are stationed in a foreign land. Let me just put it this way for the sake of the lesson. We are captive in a foreign land. And I know we're not, but here we are in a foreign land. Everybody around us is walking in the name of their God. What are we going to do? You see, we are the remnant of those who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In, in the midst of the storm, as Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, the mariners cried, every man unto his God. But we are those that cry unto God Almighty, the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth. Matthew Henry wrote this, quote, How constant God's people now resolve to be to Him. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God. We will acknowledge Him in all our ways and govern ourselves by a continual regard to Him, doing nothing but what we have warrant from Him for and openly professing our relation to Him. There should be no doubt in the world's eyes who our God is. Do you hear me? There should be no doubt. It should never be disputed that Liberty Baptist Tabernacles God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Hebrews 10.39 says, But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. May we never falter. And having done all, may we stand in these last days. And while the world around us walks in, their, in the name of their God, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Why? Because the world needs to hear the good news of the gospel. We're, we're that hope. Let's pray.